Hi everyone, welcome back to Hitchcock University where you learn filmmaking from the masters. Uh, my name is Taylor Bickle. Last class session we talked about Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction and today we're going to go into Robert Rodriguez's second film, Desperado. This is the first film of the two-picture deal that uh, Rodriguez signed with uh, Columbia after, making, uh, after they bought uh, El Mariachi and then signed him. They gave him a $7 million budget. Uh, but Rodriguez wanted to make it look like a $30 million film. Much in the same way that he took the $7,000 for El Mariachi and tried to make it look like $30,000, uh, which would have been, you know, a decent amount of money spent on a Spanish language uh, video market, uh, a straight-to-video movie. Because this was a summer blockbuster. This was a summer action film. And so he was competing against movies that that had much, much larger budgets than he did. But because he was a little new to the game in Colombia, probably didn't quite know what to do with him yet. Uh, he, I say only, only had seven, <laughs> $7 million to spend. I'm sure that's the kind of budget most of us would kill for. So in the book, Robert Rodriguez Interviews, um, in a in an interview entitled From Rags to Riches, uh, Rodriguez says this. He says, people ask me how I made a movie in this business so cheaply. What I want to know is why the studios spend so much. I see so much waste. The big movies often seem static and tired. Maybe they're too polished. They've removed the grit that comes from making films the hard way by running around fast and sweating it out, forcing yourself to be creative with a lower budget. I want to shoot that specialization myth down be everything the most powerful thing is to become self-sufficient to walk into a room knowing you could actually make a film all by yourself then you're not begging i'm used to doing everything i don't want to give up the fun of wearing many hats i told someone at the studio i wanted to edit this movie and he said we can't let it your own movie directors never edit their own movies it's too much work let me tell you something the day i don't edit my own movie is the day i'm just doing it for the money it's cool to make a good deal to know you're going to get paid but it's really all about the work. That's the real thrill. Robert Rodriguez, coming from the background he did of doing everything on his own, didn't want to give that up just because he had, quote, made it. Uh, he, he enjoyed that process, found it to be cheaper and uh, less wasteful. And, 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 and in some ways, it, 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 it cuts down on a lot of the things that happen on set where an idea has to get passed on from the director to the department heads and then the department heads have to be able to understand that idea and interpret that idea and come up with their own solutions of how to make that idea work. And Rodriguez found that by not doing that, he was able to just just make a movie in a lot of ways. Not not that he eliminated all department heads or anything like that. I mean, he still had a decent sized crew, but but by cutting down on positions that he was able to fill himself like being the editor, um, being the camera operator, um, doing other things, uh, he was able to, to make that $7 million stretch further. And he was able to do something that I think is maybe not unprecedented, but it's certainly um, rare. In another interview entitled Reformation of Rebel Without a Crew, he says, I figured out a real trick. In order to make a movie look more expensive, you just have to shoot faster. On Desperado, we average 55 a day, 
the record day was 77. 55 and 77. Those are setups, people. That's 55 different shots a day. Now, it kind of helps when you're having two cameras. In my experience, two cameras can be tricky because, because normally what happens is you set up the camera, you light for it, you put the, the sound guy where he needs to be, you've blocked all the action, you know, everything's kind of designed around that shot. And then you try to squeeze a second camera in and that can create difficulties because now all of a sudden that light stand is in this shot or, you know, uh, we can see the boom mic in this shot or, you know, there's, it, it can create, it can create issues. Now, Rodriguez had a wonderful director of photography by the name of Guillermo Novaro, who I'm sure was able to handle, you know, figuring out where to put the lights so that they wouldn't be in both shots, but it would still look good for both shots. So you can divide 55 by two because they were almost always running a B camera, a second camera. But 77 shots is a lot for anybody. I mean, the average studio film moves at about, I don't know, I think he said like 13 to 15 shots a day. Well, he was shooting way more than that because he was doing it El Mariachi style. He was shooting as quickly as possible, just getting the little bits that he needed because he knew how he was how it was going to cut together, and then moving on. Um, this time he gave the actors more than one take, um, <laughs> unlike in El Mariachi. But uh, yeah, just shooting as quickly as possible, getting as many shots as possible. And he's right. It does make the movie feel much bigger than it actually is. Um, the real trick is, is being able to move that fast. And one of the things that he said, well, there's a couple things that he did crew wise to help sort of facilitate the rate of speed at which they were working. One is he cut down on crew, you know, he likened it to running a marathon where in order to run a marathon, you don't put on a bunch of weight you try to shed as much weight as possible. So you're carrying less weight over the, what is it? 26 miles, 23 miles. I don't know. I don't run marathons. And then by cutting down on crew, he encouraged his crew to like, like everybody needed to be doing two or three jobs and he could get away with this. Cause it wasn't a union crew from the States. He was using a Mexican crew, which he said was phenomenal. He said the Mexican crew was amazing. There was, n he was never told, no, we can't do that. Or, or no, that's not how it's done, or anything like that. It was constantly yes, sir, and and then figuring it out. They were constantly creatively problem solving everything. If if the you know if they were trying to do anything out of the ordinary, and that is one of the issues. Union crews will tell you, no, sorry, that's not my job. Union guys can can often tell you, uh, no, I'm sorry, that's not how it's done. I need to get. No, we need this, this, and this. Well, I, we don't have that, but I need this shot. Um, you you can run into a lot of that in this business, but the Mexican crew never did that, um, and 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 a lot of them were doing two or three things at a time, and and there's this kind of point where you don't want to be too thin on crew, but if you have the right crew, you can kind of do a lot of this stuff and do it quickly. And, and of course he led by example, you know, he was the steady cam operator on this movie. What he did was he took a three day steady cam course in Hollywood and then, and then used most of the movie as practice. 
he would, you know, design a couple of steady cam shots for every scene. So that because he knew toward the end of the movie there were going to be a lot of steady cam sh- or, or or in certain points of the movie there would be a lot of steady cam shots. So he he scheduled those scenes all for the end. And then as the movie went along he was he was building up his skill and he knew because he was the editor that if he messed up you know there were ways that he could cover himself. And he said on being his own steady cam op it doesn't really save you anything. Well, he's talking about having having someone else do your operating. It doesn't really save you anything if you know what you want and you really enjoy operating. Especially because I do a lot of handheld and change my mind very quickly. While the shot's going on, I don't have to cut and explain it to somebody else. There's just too much delegation. It makes more sense to operate the camera, get what you want, and give it a real energy. I would hate to be sitting behind the camera looking at the monitor. You just don't feel as involved. The steady cam is an extra step to be able to get smoother shots. I still have the freedom to change my mind and grab stuff as the scene is going when inspiration really hits. So basically what he's saying is he loves the ability to operate his own camera because if he wants to change the shot, if inspiration hits, he can just change the shot. And and it cuts down on on the on the having to stop, explain yourself, restart. Hopefully the person got what you were saying, you know, I mean, if you're a good communicator, then that's not really so much of an issue, but it, it, it just cuts down on the, it's, it's, it's like trimming the fat, you know, it just kind of cuts down on, on all of the additional communication that we've sort of created our, for ourselves in this Hollywood system. But one of the things that I want to talk about too is, is Rodriguez was really still figuring out how to do his job. Um, on this film. Um, a lot of what I pulled here is from uh, the commentary track on um, on the, the DVD or Blu-ray, whatever you have. Um, he said, uh, or well, actually, not, all, not a lot of this, really just this next part. He said, and I quote, one of my main flaws as a writer is not really being able to see the characters as flesh and blood characters to, point, to the point that I can never figure out their names. So Rodriguez openly admits even though I'm the writer, you know, the writer of my two, of, of my two feature films, I'm not that good of a writer. Um, and when you're not that good of a writer, but you are the director, you can really, really work with your cast, really work with your talent there to come up with something, something to cover up your flaws as a writer. And in Reformation of Rebel Without a Crew, uh, one of the interviews in Rodriguez interviews says, he said, um, he said again that he wrote a series of short films. Um, he he sort of spent a lot of time thinking about it, like like the chapter breaks in a, uh, well at that time a laser disc, but a you know a DVD. Um, you go to the chapters or the scenes part, and it's broken down, right? Well, he was trying to think. He 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 broke down the script in sequences like that in a way where it was like, so from here to here, that would be a natural chapter break. If I can start here and end here, and then I just have to fill out the middle. Okay. And then where do we go from there? So the next chapter would be this to this, you know, and just thinking about it that way. And, and, and he said in the commentary again, that, that, that it was like thinking about it, like, like a series of short films, which again is what he did for Mariachi. So he's still figuring out how to write a script. But he's but 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 that's not stopping him either, because this is one of the things about because remember, his goal was to do three movies for the Spanish language video market 
and then go to Hollywood. He really wanted a lot of experience because he knew he wasn't good at everything yet. He knew he needed more time. And yet here he is thrust into this $7 million movie for Columbia starring Antonio Banderas. And he's got to figure out how to do this. So, so my encouragement to you is, is just because you're not good at something or just because you think you're not good at something doesn't mean you shouldn't keep trying. And this is where collaboration comes in. If you're not that good at something, but you have people around you who can help fill in for some weaknesses, like if you have a really good cast, it doesn't matter if you're not that good of a writer. Just so long as you listen with, to them and collaborate with them and work with them to build strong characters. Maybe they have some story ideas that can work, etc. Sorry, there's some mowing outside. Um, relief blowing or something. Um, oh no, they're cleaning off the... Uh, cleaning off my porch. Hold on a second. You know, and then part of this for writing... Um, in the commentary, Rodriguez said the easiest way for him to do an action scene is just to take the protagonist all around the room. Just, just, just take your central character of the action scene and just kind of take them all around the room and, and, and come up with bits of business, you know, in every, in every spot. Again, that's not great writing. It's not great, um, blocking. It's not great action directing, but it works. Um, and that's the other thing. If you can figure out little, little tricks to get through certain things, then use them by all means. No one's going to notice. And one of the other things Robert Rodriguez talks about is, is as a director directing talent, he said, he said uh, in Reformation of Rebel Without a Crew that a lot of times he'll just give his actors direct line readings. He'll just tell them exactly how he wants them to say it. And, and he even admits, like, there's a lot of actors in this world that don't like that. Thankfully, none of them were in Desperado, but there's a lot of actors that aren't, they, they do not respond well to be given direct line readings. They want, they want to tell you, about character motivation they and, and, and let them figure out how to deliver a line. Um, but they want to know about what to do, how to, you know, um, what's going through their heads, stuff like that. They want playable direction. They don't want to just be treated like a, like a puppet. Yeah, I mean, I could do two or three episodes on playable direction, um, something that I'm not that good at, honestly, and something I would need a refresher on. Uh, maybe maybe one of these days we'll get to something like that. I don't know. But yeah, so Rodriguez wasn't very good at his job yet, and he was still learning on the job, which I think is really important to remember. It's only a second movie, you know, and if, if, if you don't have a lot of experience making videos, short films, whatever, it's okay if you're not good at what you do yet. And you know what makes it even easier is not having $7 million of someone else's money to spend, honestly. Uh, that's a lot of pressure because you have to spend that money right, you know. And, and, and talking about spending that money right, that was one of the things that Rodriguez had to go into this movie with was, okay, I just made a movie for 7000 Now I have to make a movie for $7 million. How do I not blow all that money in the wrong places so that this movie comes out as good as it possibly can and looks bigger than seven million dollars so he had to limit himself especially with the script he had to limit himself on things like locations limit himself on things like props or vehicles limit him you know basically limit the art department as much as possible 
you know, one of the things that they really wanted was a couple camera crane shots. It was something that they were going to do in El Mariachi, but um, the electrician's crane that they were going to borrow, um, somebody got electrocuted. And so they were like, yeah, we're just not going to, no, that's fine. That's fine. We'll just put the camera up on a ladder. It'll be a high shot and it just won't move. So for this movie, he you know, he wanted a couple crane shots, but that meant that he had to very carefully decide where do those crane shots go because we can only afford to get it down from it came down from San Antonio or something like that. Um, you know where are those crane shots going to be? What days do we want it, etc.? Because that cost, I mean, I mean that was an extra cost above just their normal uh, crew and gear. Um, he used a lot of his own crew as extras. He really, he, it's, it, it's funny listening to the commentary and just noticing all the times he points out, Oh yeah, that's my first AD or, Oh, Hey, that's my second ID, second AD. Oh, that's my focus puller. Oh, you know, Oh, there's my DP right there. Um, and he was able to do that in part because he was making a movie down in Mexico with a Mexican crew. So they all look, you know, they were all, <laughs> they all fit the part. Um, you know, and, and, and he ended up using a lot of the local townsfolk because it was in the same town as El Mariachi, which means he was still a recognized name and face. So he was able to use a lot of the old townsfolk. In fact, there's also a number of people who were in El Mariachi that are in Desperado, except that like time had gone by. And so he didn't recognize everybody, but they were the same people. One of the other things that he did that I thought was really smart is he would do some storyboards, but really what he would do is he would take everybody to the location for a rehearsal, walk it through with everybody, you know, have the, have the, not, I mean, not the entire crew, but you know, all the main actors and all the, um, key crew. So especially if it was a big action scene, the stunt guy had to be there. You know, uh, the DP needed to be there. Um, uh, probably, you know, key grip gaffer, those kind of, you know, key crew, production designer, you know, all the, all the department heads needed to be there. And he would walk through the rehearsal with a video camera and would reposition the camera every time he wanted. He's like, okay, we're going to do this shot here. Then we're going to do this, you know, and as the action moved along, he moved the camera to where he wanted it to be next, what he was going to cover here, 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 so that when they got to the set, they knew exactly what shots he wanted. And the DP knew exactly where he could and couldn't put lights or if he put them there, they were going to have to move, you know, and the actors got a sense of how the action was going to flow. The stunt man, you know, the stunt coordinator had a, had a sense of what Robert wanted. Um, you know, everybody got a feel for what the day was going to look like, which allowed them to prepare more thoroughly instead of just having storyboards that he hands out to everybody. And then they have to figure out, okay, so then the camera is going to be over there, which means, oh, okay. So I can't do, you know, he gets everybody on the same page and gets a rehearsal out of it, which I thought was pretty smart. And the other advantage of him being the editor from day one, from the minute he puts pen to paper or finger to keys to type out the script, he's already thinking about what shots he needs. So when he gets to the set, by the time he gets to the set, I mean, this would be months after he started writing the script. By the time he gets to the sets, he knows exactly what shots he needs. So he's not, he's not one of these directors who 
you know, just sprays down the scene and then says, and then says, well, we'll find the movie in editing. No, he knows exactly what he wants before he gets to the set, which means he's not wasting a lot of time on unnecessary shots, which helps you move fast, but it also keeps the budget low because you're not wasting time on a shot that's never going to be in the movie. Everything's going to be in the movie because you know exactly what you want. Yeah, so that's that's Robert Rodriguez's second film. It's a lot of continuation of the El Mariachi method, this kind of do everything you can on your own, little delegation as possible, keep things cheap, figure out how to do it, shoot fast, um, those kinds of things, and just keep practicing, keep doing what you're doing because you're going to get better at it. Um, so that's all we have for... Uh, for Desperado, sorry, somebody's playing music outside now. It's very loud. Um, next class session will be from Dusk Till Dawn. And then after that, we'll do Tarantino's Jackie Brown. And then we'll come back to Robert Rodriguez and we'll do uh, The Faculty, which is a movie I didn't think we were going to do. But um, I uncovered enough information uh, that I think it'll be a useful class session for us. Um, thank you so much for listening to Hitchcock University. Um, Please give us a, a like, a comment, a review, rating, uh, wherever it is you listen to the show, whether that's on um, iTunes uh, po- or Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever. Um, and uh, keep, keep up to date with the, uh, with the newly crowned Hitchcock University YouTube channel. Um, where I'm going to be doing some practice of my own Robert Rodriguez style. Um, uh, you can keep track with that. I mean, for, well, first of all, yeah, if you subscribe to the YouTube channel, you're going to keep track with it. But um, but I'll also post updates occasionally on uh, on our Facebook page, Hitchcock University, and on the Twitter page, uh, which is at Hitch underscore U, as in university, the letter U. Um, yeah, I think that's all we got. Uh Again, thank you so much for being here with us uh, at Hitchcock University. My name is Taylor Bickle, and this has been Hitchcock University, where you learn filmmaking from the masters. We'll talk to you again in two weeks. Thanks.